Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Friday, January 26th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm speaking today with political correspondent Tal Schneider and health editor Renee Gertzand. Hello, good morning to you both. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, good morning, Jessica. Hi there. It is day 112 of the war. The IDF says dozens of Hamas terrorists were killed during heavy fighting in Khan Yunus. Today is also the day when the International Court of Justice in The Hague is due to rule in South Africa's genocide case against Israel. That will happen this afternoon, 2 p.m. Israel time. And with the focus on whether to impose the urgent intervention sought by South Africa. Meanwhile, hostage talks or preliminary hostage talks are being held uh, between the CIA and Mossad chiefs with the Qatari and Egyptian mediators as a series of protests have been taking place in Israel's streets and highways, including across from Prime Minister Netanyahu's residence in Jerusalem, and that will happen again in his residence in Caesarea over the weekend. We will talk about the ceasefire talks along with Israeli protests against aid going into Gaza along with the recovery of Israeli singer Fauda actor reservist Idan Amedi and the visit of New Hadassah President Carol Ann Schwartz, who is just in Israel. All of that after a quick break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if... What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ATS.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Okay, so Tal, tensions are very high, both among the families of the hostages who are begging and yelling and protesting for a deal so that there is hope of their loved ones coming home alive. There's also this counter protest that happens with people who feel that any ceasefire will therefore endanger IDF soldiers. There are protests among Israelis at the Gaza border, protesting aid going into Gaza. Could you help us make sense of it? Right, Jessica. Actually, you know, not much makes sense of uh, 136 uh, people taken from their homes and being captive uh, for uh, almost four months now. Uh, really un- unbelievable. Those 136 people are held in, in dire conditions and uh, they don't get visit by the Red Cross. They don't, we don't know if they get medicine or food. We know many, some of them that went out um, almost two months ago lost lots of weight. So the families, uh, some of the families of those 136 people protested, protesting for three days in a row in the southern border of Kerem Shalom crossing. This is the area 
where the trucks, uh, hundreds of trucks of aid are entering Gaza every day. We have two points of entries, one in the, in, the, in the southern part, very close to Egypt, it's called Kerem Shalom, and the other one in the northern part, the Erez crossing. Um, so Israel has begun flowing aid since almost the beginning with, you know, huge pressure coming from Washington to do that. And, and that was against Prime Minister and Defense Minister promises. They all said that as long as the, the people who were taking um, abducted from their houses will not get visited by the Red Cross or any sort of aid, Israel will not provide any aid to the Palestinians. Obviously, that, you know, it didn't happen. Israel started to flowing in aid very early in the process. And the families of those um, of the of the captives of the hostages are, you know, they're yelling for the third day today on a Friday. Uh, they're standing in the border. They're not letting the trucks pass. Biden in the White House asked Netanyahu, or maybe I should say, um, Defense Minister uh, Austin asked the Israel's Defense Minister to solve that problem and let the aid flow in. The problem was solved yesterday, where the trucks were diverted to Egypt and where they were they entered into the southern part of Gaza through Egypt, through Rafah crossing. Um, today has just begun, so we don't know what's going to be the step to divert the aid. But obviously, this is a major problem, you know, because the people that are protesting are families of, of captives or families of fallen soldiers. The country, the, you know, the security forces have, you know, a real issue dealing with them. They, they, they don't want to evacuate them. They don't want to fight with them on, on the streets, on the roads. So, And uh, it's different families of hostages who are protesting in different ways. That's also what's going on here. Yeah, when you have so many hostages and so many fallen soldiers, you have all types of political opinions. And, and we think that many of the people who are doing this, um, you know, they're trying to limit the aid that goes in, they're probably coming from more of the right wing side of the map. They're attacking and they're yelling at the prime minister for not being, you know, right wing or, um, you know, not basically they're saying he's not strong enough, that he is uh, coming to, to pressure, that he's unable, that he doesn't have the stamina to stand up to the pressure. Right. And then, and then the protests that go on outside of his residence in Jerusalem, outside his residence in Caesarea, in the, the main streets and highways sometimes of Tel Aviv, those tend to be more left-leaning families right. and supporters of hostage families because yeah. they, are, they are looking at it differently. Right. The, the solution that they are looking at is, is very different. They are calling for the, you know, they want to see the withdrawal of the military from Gaza in exchange for hostages release. Whereas people from the right wing, they want to put more military pressure on, on Hamas in order to release the, the hostages. So you, you see those different approaches. We might say overall that most of the families of the abducted are probably more left-leaning and not the supporters of the prime minister because they're coming from the area of this, this, this region in the southern part of Israel. Was a very, it, it was well known to be an activist area for, for 
you know, people who looked for peace solutions. You know, many of the people that were abducted were actually peace activists. So, and and some of the people, um, fallen soldiers, and and also some of the families of the people who were abducted are coming from the right wing. There are mostly people who used to support Netanyahu, but now they're really mad at him for not being strong enough, forceful enough, that you know, for allowing aid to flow in and so on. Right. I've also noted in in the reporting that I've been doing over the last few months that the hostages, the families of the hostages from the Nova rave tend to be more spread out over the political map. It's complicated. And actually, we feel kind of, you know, the stomach is turning around to even discuss the the political climate of those people. They're all miserable and they're all yelling for help and they need help, the families and the hostages. So, uh, you know, it's everyone allows in Israel, it's a democracy, everyone allows to get his own opinion on how things should proceed. And they are, they are vocal, but, you know, they're not getting results. And that's what the frustrating um, part of, the, of right. it. Right. Bottom line there, people are not back. And that's... That's the, that's the issue that's tearing them apart. Okay, Tal, turning to a different issue, there are talks that are ongoing with the mediators from Qatar and Egypt, with Israel, uh, with the U.S., but there's also been some frustration from the Qataris about how Israel and how Prime Minister Netanyahu is reacting to some of the statements being made. Explain it to us so that we can understand how things could look going forward. Right. So we have a CIA a director, William Burns, and Mossad chief, Dedi Barnea, meeting today with Qatari prime minister and Egyptian um, Egyptian uh, mediator uh, somewhere in Europe um, to to solve the, the crisis with the people who were abducted. This is the most, you know, pressing issue, I would say, in order to proceed in anything right now. And this meeting comes just, you know, a day after the Qatari foreign ministry bashed Prime Minister Netanyahu for things he said in a closed meeting with the families of the hostages. He was, um, you know, he, he, was, he was lashing at the Qatari, he was lashing at the Americans for not putting enough pressure on the Qataris. The Qataris were, were highly insulted. They came out publicly in a very rare message, blaming Netanyahu for doing all of those things because of his political calculations. Uh, I mean, it was really, um, you know, breathtaking to see this um, deterioration because the fact that uh, Netanyahu and the Qatari are in, in such a, a fight is really devastating for the negotiation efforts. But then we see today the negotiation efforts continue and, you know, let's hope for the best. I mean, I don't know what's next, the big gap between the sides. This is one on one side, Israel, and the other side, a terror organization, the Hamas. The biggest gap is how you would you define the end of war? Hamas wants to have guarantees from the entire world that Israel is withdrawing and not entering back into fighting later on. And Israel says, I'm willing to give a pause of several months, but, you know, the war did not, will not end as long as we are, you know, as long as we are under attack or under threat from a terror organization. So this is the main problem. Right. Okay. I think we're going to see a lot of different things playing out today. Thanks for that, Tal. We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we will talk to Renee about Idana Mehdi, singer and Fauda actor who was injured very badly in early January, and a visit of the new Hadassah president to Israel right now. You're listening to this podcast. 
So I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, Renee, Idana Mehdi, first known as a reality music show winner in 2010. He had a number of hits. He then joined the cast of Fauda in 2017 and uh, was called up for reserve duty and was injured very badly on January 8th in an explosion in Gaza in which six soldiers were killed. That was a very, very difficult day for everyone, including, obviously, Ahmedi and his team. Tell us what he had to say, what it was like to see him on the road to recovery. Right. So, uh, Jessica, yesterday there was a very packed press conference at Sheba Medical Center where Ahmedi has been hospitalized since... uh, the explosion on January 8th. He was serving in the combat as a reserve soldier in the combat engineering corps. Um, And uh, he arrived at, he, he spoke to the gathered media and told them exactly what happened. Uh, he yesterday looked very weak. He he was able to uh, walk into the press conference on his two feet, but he looked very weak, very tired. Um, his right hand was uh, bandaged. Some of the fingers are broken there, and his left arm was in a sling. You could see that on his face, uh, you know, his, that his face had been injured as well. So he uh, told those gathered that when he was brought to Shiva after the explosion, uh, his face was unrecognizable. He came in as a as a anonymous soldier. They didn't know who he was. Um, they discovered shrapnel in his spine and back broken bones. He was just in very bad condition. He said he was very fortunate that none of the shrapnel pierced his uh, any of the vital uh, blood vessels in his body. It was really miraculous. Um, so he, was, he underwent surgeries and uh, has been in the hospital for two and a half weeks. And uh, he progressed so well that his doctors agreed that he could undergo uh, long-term rehabilitation uh, at home as sort of come in as an outpatient um, and also at home via Sheba's, uh, what's called Sheba Beyond, the hospital's virtual hospital. Um, and he, he said that, uh, you know, he was very grateful for all the outpouring of love and support from fans all over Israel, all over the world. 
um, but he really didn't want the spotlight on him. He said that he's he the if there's anything good about his injuries injuries is that he can be an ambassador for all the injured soldiers. Um, and he, of course, sent condolences to all the families of the fallen. And he spoke in particular about the soldiers who he was with on that mission when the explosion happened. Uh, two of his good friends were killed in that, and he he really he spoke very uh, movingly about those two soldiers and how much he misses them and what an important part they were of in his of his life. Um, he also answered some questions that were a little bit more political. Um, he he did mention that he believes that the that uh, returning the hostages, whether it be through negotiations or through rescuing them some way, is should be the country's absolute number one priority. He said that the government, uh, the Israeli government, has more leverage, more options than it has used thus far, and it should be using those. Uh, those options. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he was referring to, but he, he felt more could be done. And he also spoke about unity. He said that it, for him, it's not just a slogan. He said the, the nation must be unified. It's necessary to win the war and for the country to move uh, forward. He said it's time to get past what he, he called the stupid and shallow discourse in this country. And uh, I think he has, he said some very important things and uh, he's on to the road, to his road to recovery. He said he's going to be back to playing music, singing and, uh, and acting as soon as possible. I guess that was sort of helpful to then helpful to see him uh, there in person in the flesh, so to speak. Okay, and you have a piece up with an interview with uh, New Hadassah President Carol Ann Schwartz, who comes from a family with very deep Zionist roots. This is a very natural thing, in a sense, for her to take on this position of leadership. And she was here on a solidarity mission. What was it like speaking to her? What's her modus operandi right now? So I spoke to new Hadassah President Caroline Schwartz uh, shortly after she returned from uh, this uh, Israel mission trip that she led uh, unbelievably less than one week after becoming the new president. She became president on January 1st, and by January 6th, she was on the ground here in Israel. She said that there was, she couldn't think of doing anything else but getting here immediately. She led a group of 50 Hadassah members, both um, past presidents of the organization and uh, some other 50 people, uh, members and supporters from around the world, from eight different countries. They, the group, of course, visited the OTEF, the Gaza envelope area, to see what happened there. They visited Hostages Square, but uh, they did some things that were a little bit different than others who have been visiting here. Uh, she spoke about delivering the uh, petition to the International Committee of the Red Cross here in Tel Aviv. It was signed by 5,000 Hadassah members and supporters. And uh, she said the petition came after a letter was uh, that Hadassah sent to the ICRC demanding action on the hostages went un unanswered. And she 
she spoke very strongly. She said, when a, when you get a letter from the largest Zionist and largest Jewish women's organization in the world, you answer. And the Red Cross did not answer. So she was quite angry about that. So she showed up at the door of the Red Cross with this petition, went in, sat down for half an hour and gave them an earful. Uh, another special part of uh, the visit uh, was was going to the new Hadassah Rehab Center on Mount Scopus, which uh, whose building was accelerated due to the war. And she told she told me how uh, fundraising was kicked up a notch very quickly in order to be able to get these this center open. Uh, at least the first two floors within weeks uh, after the war started. Um, she said fundraising has is for the needs of the country, uh, the needs of the of the hospitals, the Hadassah hospitals in Jerusalem, the Hadassah youth villages, and anything else needed uh, is really the focus right now. And when I asked her about her agenda for her four-year tenure, um, she said that among the most important things will be bearing witness to what happened here in Israel on October 7th and making sure that the world understands what happened here, uh, fighting for justice for the women who were raped by Hamas terrorists, fighting anti-Semitism, which we all know is exploding around the world, Zionist and Jewish education, which is a core pillar of Hadassah, as is uh, developing leadership among Jewish women of all ages. So uh, some of it is sort of the core work of Hadassah, and some of it has been adjusted for what we're going through right now. So it was a really interesting conversation, and she's a very impressive uh, woman. Okay, and she has a lot of work to do. Okay. Thank you, Renee, and thank you, Tal, for being with me on today's Daily Briefing. It's been good to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, Wishing all of us and all of you a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Daily Briefing. Stay tuned for tomorrow's installment. This episode was produced by The Podwaves. If you have any comments about this podcast or any others, you can always drop us an email at podcast at timesofvisual.com. And until next time, be well, take care. Wishing us all, as we said, a Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>